And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Let's go to the Heartland Hotline. Heartland Catfish, producing the finest farm-raised catfish anywhere. And this week, we like to feature two great catfish restaurants. When we make the trips to Arkansas, we always stop at the Catfish Hole in Alma, Arkansas, or head up to the Catfish Hole in Fayetteville. Last time I was there, the nice guy at the register said, hey, you know we get our catfish from Heartland Catfish over in the Mississippi Delta. And when I heard that, I made those places a must-stop. The Catfish Hole in Alma, Arkansas, and Fayetteville. Well, we've got Butch Thompson and Lane Burroughs on the line. And, guys, starting with you, Butch, what was it like in those first few months in Starkville in the summer of 2008, and what were your thoughts on coming to Mississippi State? Uh, just the opportunity to go to Duty, Duty Noble Field. And as you got in the coaching profession, you're like, man, an opportunity to every coach at Mississippi State. You know, that was kind of the goal. That was kind of something that you were looking for. So I, I was fired up. I was actually uh, – I remember being at Auburn and then making that trek over to uh, to Starful and never had been spent a lot of time with Lane. I just think we all had mutual friends because we're both Mississippi guys and that opportunity to get together with him for four years was, was amazing. And just putting that Mississippi State uniform on because honestly not being a good enough player to do it and then later on, getting into coaching and being able to be the pitching coach at Mississippi State at that time was the highlight of my career. Well, I'll tell you what, um, the opportunity just to come back and and be able to coach at Mississippi State, like Butch said, growing up in the state, uh, I was obviously a huge, huge Mississippi State fan and where I grew up in Meridian. I uh, went to a West Lauderdale High School, and Jody Hurst was my, was my idol uh, growing up and playing at the same high school, and uh, just the opportunity wasn't good enough to play there, but the chance to come back home and and be able to coach there and just be a part of that history and tradition. Look, that and having Butch there with me, we were we leaned on each other so much in my four years there, and don't know if I could have made it without him. To be honest with you, and learned so much from him, and uh, it was just wild. You know, we it was uh, we got thrown to the wolves. It was it was blowing and going from the get go. My wife and kids came down and bought a house and. I was kind of stationed and working out of Meridian with family. And first time I saw my house that we lived in, uh, it was already furniture in it. There were pictures on the wall. They had everything set up. So uh, we were on the road so much. And, you know, Mississippi State had not had a good year. So uh, kind of down and it kind of wasn't as cool to be at Mississippi State. So we had to we had to work, man. We had to get after it. And I just uh, we took some chances on some on some young men and that were hungry and their, their character, their makeup and had some toughness. And it was fun, you know, looking back on it, it took a lot out of us. It was hard work, uh, learned so much and, uh, just glad I was able to share it with Butch and, and, uh, again, just be with John and be a part of that program. And it, it's kind of a blur to be honest with you, because we were going. So I will tell you a quick story. I remember Butch asking me this on the road. He probably don't remember this, but he said, who are you going to get to do, uh, your lawn? to be your lawn service. And I said, ain't nobody's ever going to do my lawn. I'm going to, I do that's kind of my escape and I'm going to, that's my thing. And I just remember Butch kind of looking at me and saying, okay. And uh, about three weeks later I said, Hey, I'm going to need the name of that lawn guy. you hired. So uh, I learned quickly uh, things move fast in that league. And, and uh, we were a little bit behind. So we, uh, we were going to be working our tails off and, and by gosh, we did. You know, you hear so many times coaches, looking back on their time at a place, they'll say, boy, I'll tell you what, the very first phone call I made was 
fill in the blank with a player that they went out and targeted, knew they had to have kind of that player that could help change the program. For you guys, who is that player that you kind of said, oh, boy, I'm going to Mississippi State. We need some dudes. I'm going after this guy. You know, I, full disclosure, you know, I had left Auburn, and I was at High Point University for a couple of weeks, I guess. And when I'd taken the job at Mississippi State, I'm driving from High Point, North Carolina, to Starkville, Mississippi. So I get connected with Lane, and the connection is who we need to recruit. I, I guess, Lane, I think you were stationed out in McAllister, Oklahoma, and you're like, the first guy that I see tonight that you need to get on the phone with is Chris Stratton. I yep. think that's I think that's the very first player that you're like, hey, we got to get this guy, and you need this. Whatever you're doing, you need to get with Chris Stratton right now and get him to Mississippi State. That urgency, I'm glad you did. And, you know, what an amazing family. And, and Chris, uh, you know, what he did at State. and Still playing the game at the highest level, playing in the big leagues. Uh, I just remember in that McAllister, you got a Chris Stratton. And then I remember watching Brandon Woodruff with my own eyes. And I remember uh, the guy at Oklahoma State that was from Mississippi that said, uh, hey, I'm going to give you till the sun goes down to get this guy signed. And then I'm on, I'm on attack because, you know, Woodruff was just up the road there. I, those are a couple of first people that I remember uh, that Lane put me on. You know, that was it. Besides, uh, when I when, when John offered me the job, I, I was in McAllister, Oklahoma at the uh, Junior Sunbelt Tournament. And uh, that was always a huge tournament for underclassmen in the summer. It's kind of the kickoff of the summer. And it's usually teams that aren't in regionals or super regionals. You're camped out in McAllister. And, and uh, John offered me the job. So after calling my wife and letting her know we were moving to Starkville, that was my first call. You know, it was kind of a, it was kind of a weird deal. I had just kind of scurried over and was watching Team Mississippi play. I was coaching at Kansas State, so I really had no interest in. Uh, I knew we weren't going to get any players from Mississippi at K State, but uh, I wanted to go watch them because all my buddies were going to be there. So uh, that it was kind of I just stumbled upon them, and I knew all those guys. Obviously, my years at Southern Miss, and and uh, lo and behold, Chris Stratton from Tupelo, Mississippi, was pitching and. I would love to tell you that uh, I looked at him and said, "Man, that guy's going to be a first rounder. He's going to be a big leaguer." Uh, but I didn't. It was uh, it was raw. It was good. The arm worked. It was clean, and uh, yeah, it was upper eighties. He had hit you a ninety and pretty good feel for a breaking ball. And and uh, that was the first call I made as high school coach. And then got in touch with Chris, and I knew immediately. Uh, you know, Butch being from that area, North Mississippi, and having all those connections, and and uh, he needed to talk to Butch because he was going to be the one working with him and. And uh, so that's right. I, I made contact with Chris, and and uh, it ended up being a good one. And uh, kind of turned it over to Butch after that. And uh, I would say Butch and John pretty much closed that deal. And I think he might have been our first commitment uh, when we took the job, if I'm not mistaken. Staying with Chris Stratton, Butch. I mean, he was a guy that you know just had high ERA first couple of years. He he showed the, the signs of brilliance that pitching performance down in Baton Rouge. But then it was almost like the switch flip with Chris Stratton, and he turned into that first-round guy. What do you remember about uh, what really turned the switch for Chris? You know, I think it was an opportunity. Lane, if you'll remember, we had gone through the non-conference, and we were piggybacking two pitchers. Ben Bracewell's still pitching today. I think he's probably in AAA with, uh, with the A's now here. We were starting the game with Ben, and then we were bringing Stratton in right behind him. And then Ben went down, and we're heading into the first weekend of SEC play. So this is Chris's junior year. 
and we go to LSU, and it's a Friday night, and because Ben's out, Chris draws that start. You know, that was a 17-strikeout performance, I think, in Baton Rouge in nine innings. And I remember Stratton coming out of that ball game and the LSU fans standing and giving him a uh, giving him a standing ovation. The crazy thing about that game, you know, you got a guy that's 17 strikeouts, goes into the ninth inning, comes out of the ball game. We eventually have a tough two-to-one loss there and actually lose a ball game when your pitcher goes – 17 strikeouts, gets into the ninth inning, lose a two-to-one ball game. We gave up a four-hitter on Saturday with Ev- Evan Mitchell. And then Sunday, I think uh, Kendall Graveman gets 20 ground ball outs yep. to get a victory, <laughs> you know, down in Baton Rouge. But I'll never remember – I'll never forget that night of Chris Stratton, 17 strikeouts, first SEC weekend. He was going head-to-head with another first-rounder, so – all 30 major league clubs are there. What was his name? What was Kevin the right-hander for? Gosman, it was Gosman. Yeah. So you had Gosman and Stratton right there. And Stratton goes 17 strikeouts. All 30 clubs, major league clubs are represented. I just knew getting back on the bus and going back and, you know, sobbing in my tears because we come up a run short. Get back and get your pizza in the hotel room. I'm just sitting there thinking that, you know, Stratton comes to my room and he's like, I'm thinking he's going to tell me his arm's hurting or something like that. And he's like, I don't remember the third to the eighth innings. And I'm like, all right, well, you're going to be one of the best pitchers in the SEC, which he was the eventual SEC pitcher of the year. And the reason why I said that is because, you know, he just, he had that autopilot moment. And I don't know, I just, that opportunity, that biggest stage, he rose to the moment. And I think in that defeat that night, that made him the SEC Pitcher of the Year, and it made him a first-rounder and really really set him up for for his career. You know what I remember about that night? I remember, of course, we lost 2-1 to one in, what, 10 innings, and it was an excruciating loss. I mean, it was painful. <laughs> but it's been eight years, but I remember walking down to breakfast the next morning, and I was sitting at the table with Lane and Greg Dry, and Butch comes walking up. With a plate of pancakes and grits, okay, <laughs> and I remember, I remember it like it was yesterday. And Butch, you looked at us and says, "I beat a kid up when I was six years old, and the good Lord waited the last night to finally get me back." <laughs> <laughs> well, good stuff, guys. Hey, we'll take a quick break. We're talking to former assistant coaches Butch Thompson and Lane Burrows this week sharing some great memories of their time in Starkville that helped lead to a golden era of Bulldog baseball. So back with more on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. We're talking to former assistant coaches Lane Burrows and Butch Thompson. And we're looking back at Bulldog history, brought to you each week by our good friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing, the best sausage in the South, well in America, produced in Florence, Mississippi, at Country Meat Packers. So while you're still stuck in the quarantine, make sure you add some country pleasing to your grocery list. The original jalapeno cheddar, grab some of that famous andouille, or some green onion. Country pleasing sausage made right here in the state of Mississippi. So, Lane, we talked about Chris Stratton just a moment ago, but another guy from the state of Mississippi also had an interesting recruitment what were your first thoughts when you saw a guy by the name of Hunter Renfro? 
Yeah, I had wind watched uh, Hunter. They were playing his high school, Kapai Academy. They were playing at Smith Wheels. They were playing uh, Hillcrest Christian. And to be quite honest with you, I was there to see Hillcrest. I was not there to see Kapai Academy. And uh, Chuck Bartlett, of all people, former Mississippi State player, he was scouting for Cleveland, and he pulled me over the side, and he said, hey, you need to you need to get on this kid. And it was Hunter, and obviously, you know, physical and athletic and didn't really know him that well. And I said, really? And he's like, yeah, he's going to get drafted. You need to get on him. And lo and behold, in that at bat, he, he hits a bomb opposite field at Smith Wills. And he kind of lets Hillcrest know about it. So he's going around the bases. And I kind of liked it. And I said, hey, you know, we might have something. He's getting behind home plate. And, I mean, the, the arm is just it is what it is. So, obviously, the tools are jumping out at you. That's pretty easy. And uh, we kind of slow played it. He kind of took on a – uh, a life of its own, the Hunter Renfro saga in the recruiting circles. Cause he had one offer Meridian junior college. I guess he was committed to them and nobody was really on him. I think at where he played and, and the stories were so big, they were Paul Bunyan like stories. And, you know, you just kind of fell in love with him. The more I went and saw him, I went down and watched him play one night uh, against Adams Christian and good gracious. There must've been 40 scouts there. There were cross checkers. Uh, LSU was there. There were numerous colleges and uh nobody would pitch to him and uh you know that whole year he was intentionally walked so much so they put him on the mound and you know it's it's coming out of there it's 90 93 and i think he hit an inside the park uh grand slam the only ball he got thrown to him the whole night and you know the whole thing with hunter that whole year senior year the scouts and coaches would have to stay after the game so his coach could, could throw bp to him because he never got any official at bats and, and i'm being serious here he he always got intentionally walked and I felt like we needed to do something. We slow played it, and that was on me. I, I didn't really know if I needed to pull the trigger, and I can't even remember where I was, but I remember John and Butch uh, went up to Memphis, and I think I'm telling this story right, Butch. Tell me if I'm not, but uh, they, they got in a car together. They were back in Starkville, and they drove up, and, and I, I guess he hit a couple homers, and, and uh, he must have hit a 95 or 96, but I remember calling me. Butch made a text, said, you about to get a call from Coach, and – and John said, "You're gonna get your wish. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and sign him." So I guess he showed out that day. It was it was not again another Stratton type story. I would love to tell you uh, through my recruiting abilities. I saw him one time, and I said, "There's a first rounder in a big leaguer," but nothing near that. You know, obviously the tools were there, and and uh, it, it wasn't like he stepped in and was a was a man out of the gate. I think his tools. Uh, I can remember saying this because I'd seen Bryce Harper play in junior college and i can remember thinking man if you put hunter renfro and bryce harper and nobody knows who they are and just put them through a showcase let them throw from the outfield let them run the 60 let them take bp it probably ain't gonna be a lot of difference just the tools and and uh obviously he developed i was gone i, I coached him a couple of years but uh his draft year i was the year after i left and and obviously he developed into what he is today but uh, again, one of those weird recruiting stories where you're not sure what you're getting, but lo and behold, you're getting a first rounder and you're getting a big leaguer. Let me add to that. I just Lane was the one that always kept Hunter Renfro coming up in our staff meetings. He just always he couldn't forget what he saw, and I think he wound up having like 60 intentional walks that year. Lane, you know, he eventually goes in the 30th round with the Red Sox and another one of our good friends, a scout. And, you know, Major League Baseball. You know, they're doing their job, and their job is to sign the best players. And, you know, I, I thought for a time Hunter would probably sign a professional contract or, or go to Meridian. And, and, and Danny just called me and said, I don't think it's going to work out. 
where we're going to be able to sign him. And are you sure that you're not going to, you know, try to sign this guy in our state, just like Lane had been doing for months. And that's what prompted us to get in the car and go up. We went to the old USA stadium in Millington, not even the main field, the, the field right out, out beside and behind. And we had set it up for him to, to catch two innings, pitch two innings and play in the outfield two innings. And John had never seen him. And I just, I propped John up and, you know, home run to left field, the first two at bats. He gets up on the mound, throws 97, 98. I put it away after two pitches just because I don't want anybody else to see the gun readings and, and, and try to keep a secret. And, you know, that body catching. And when we got in the car, we're just like, what are we doing? Even if, even if he's not ready initially, I mean, you cannot gloss over those tools. And Lane also talked about, I, I think he only had 26 at-bats as a freshman and swung and missed that curveball early. And eventually, you're right, Lane, the year after you left was by far where he took over and shined and wound up being the 13th pick overall and has, has hit some memos in the big leagues. You know, if you YouTube Hunter Renfro and see some of the distance and the tape measure shots he's hit for the Padres is, is pretty impressive. I'll tell you what, he has not hit a home run in Major League Baseball as far as he did that BP fastball off of Lane Burroughs at Georgia Tech. Still hasn't done it. <laughs> oh, I, I, he likes seeing me more than anybody. <laughs> trust me. He, hey, and he's the kind of guy you like throwing to, right, Butch? You, those guys that can uh, put on a show and you just lay it in there for them. And, yeah, you can pretty much put it anywhere. He's got so much power and – He's so strong. Um, you can put it anywhere, and he's going to – if he gets beneath it and gets hold to it, it's going to go a long way. You know, you know you, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. That, that was – Hunter, there's not many that I've ever – this is my 29th year, and Lane's right there with me, uh, to where you've seen a player like that. Uh, when he took batting practice, everybody stopped what they were doing and watched his swings. When he went to the bullpen, I tried to throw him some early. Everybody including eventual big leaguers like, you know, Stratton and Graveman and Holder, whoever was around, they stopped what they were doing just to watch Hunter throw. Yeah. I'm, I remember his last bullpen. It's like, I could just tell Hunter's not into it. He's throwing hard and everybody's watching and ooh and on just because of his talent and the ball's kind of going everywhere. But that's beside the point. When I get to the end, I'm like, Hunter, do you even want to be here? And he's like, no, not really. And I'm like, well, get out. Go back over and get in the outfield. And he never came back to the bullpen. You're talking about giving up on somebody that's, you know, just an eyelash away from 100 miles per hour at the time. I just The gifts are amazing. His heart's pure and simple. And, and Hunter's a great guy. And I'm telling you, he is so talented that everybody in the organization, whenever he went to catch, whenever he went to pitch, or whenever he picked up a bat to swing, you would stop up and watch because you were going to see something that wasn't normal that was special. You know, sometimes we talk about guys that people pick up on early and you know they're going to be special. Then every year around the team, there seems to be this freshman or so that you just wonder where they even came from, how they even got here, and all of a sudden they become big contributors later. Anybody like that stand out in your mind? Yeah, I think you you always have those surprise guys. I'll tell you one that uh, kind of pops out of me, or really two of them, two pitchers, and and uh, that'd be Caleb Reed and uh, Chad Gerardo. And and I say Caleb because we inherited Caleb. We didn't recruit him, and he was kind of on this one of the signees when we took over his freshman year. And 
and uh, it was very generic and uh, over the top and and uh, Butch had a saying, find out who you are, uh, be who you are. And I learned that from him. I use it today. And I tell the Caleb Reed and Chad Gerardo story every year. First meeting of, of my team, I tell the story of those two young men, figure out who you are. And uh, and I, I give Butch a lot of credit. Uh, but, you know, Caleb uh, is very generic. I can remember there were times his freshman year that I, I really, and I'm being honest here, I'm not trying to be funny, I really was worried about him getting hurt. Balls were coming back at him really hard. And I, I thought he might get hit with the baseball. And it, he just wasn't missing many barrels. But he went out one summer and he dropped his arm slot. Uh, and the rest is history. You know, he's not a big leaguer. He wasn't a pro guy, but he was a he was a great Mississippi State Bulldog. And, and uh, you know, Butch, Butch will tell you the story. And uh, we're, we're playing Florida in that Super Regional. And we're seven outs from winning, going to Omaha on, a, on an average club. And, and uh, what was that, 11, 2011? And, and we got three, two, three big leaguers down the bullpen, and uh, we ran from them a little bit. We went with the little side armor, uh, Caleb Reed, to get those last outs for us. And we lost. You know, uh, Preston Tucker hits three-run homer, and we they win. But we went with the guy. And, and I, I tell guys that story all the time, a guy that wasn't on a lot of money. Uh, he wasn't a big-time prospect, but he, he, he knew who he was. And when he went out there, he was going to give everything he got. And uh, we're running from some dudes in that bullpen, Butch will tell you. And, and uh, we, we went with him. And uh, ultimately, we lost, but we could all sleep good knowing he was going to give us everything he had. And Chad's another one. And, and again, Butch, uh, he, he, he can chime in on this, but another guy that Butch worked with. And I can remember Butch. We were Super Bowl all weekend in Florida. Uh, they, they kicked our teeth in boat race. I think Zanino hit a grand slam off Gerardo to, to stretch the lead to about 15-2 to two or something. And or some and Butch said something. Wow, Gerardo gave up another homer. There's barbecue sauce flying out there and dropped his arm slot. Butch worked with him, figure out who you are, because this isn't who you are. Let's figure it out. Boom. He drops his arm a little bit. Now he's got a niche and you know that niche is getting lefties out. He's got a real weapon. And uh I, I look, I'm not just saying this because he's my brother and he's on the call, but I give Butch all credit in the world with those two guys because you know, you look at them and they're they're average guys, but they figured out who they were. And uh, they weren't on a lot of money. We weren't having to beat a whole bunch of people to sign them and get them there. And uh, they end up being great players for us. One of them uh, ends up being a big leaguer. Picking up off of Caleb Reed, I, I guess I'll mention Gerardo and put him to bed. I just, you know, Chad Gerardo, he's lanes right. You know, it's 82 miles per hour, eventual big leaguer. Just seeing where these guys started to where they finished and how they kept fighting. And I think it's how they were raised in their character as much as, anything else you know you get with you get in a great program and you get around some good coaches teaching decent things these guys can do incredible things but you know for all the tough times that Gerardo had went through I, I don't think we play for a national championship in 13 if it wasn't for Gerardo going up in that postseason what he did throwing the last out against Central Arkansas and then really running through a Virginia team that was heavy left-handed that two years later won the national championship themselves and him and Ross Mitchell just stymied that Virginia lineup. But I go back to Caleb Reed for a minute because this is a guy that ends with 97 appearances, but I'm most proud of him his senior year because he has nine saves and then he taught another guy how to basically beat him out. And he taught Jonathan Holder how to be a closer, how to act, how to prep, what a routine looked like, and they both finished Caleb's senior year with nine saves. But Caleb is the one that got Jonathan Holder started in his career. 
To yeah. me, that's amazing. That's that's one of my my favorite stories of all time that I continue to to try to tell because Holder's a guy that he he come from the coast and he wanted to be an outfielder and during the fall he's not he's just pitching okay and he's trying to play the outfield and that doesn't like that's gonna work you know he can't he can't cover anything in the outfield and <laughs> you know we basically sit down with him on a Friday and we go like hey at the end of the fall like you know maybe you need to talk about going to junior college or something like that and he comes back the next week like gives up the outfield and says I don't want to go to junior college I want to pitch here and then you know Holder that freshman year he throws like 27 scoreless outs scoreless innings before he gives up a run I think his first run run was in a regional down in Tallahassee that year but Caleb Breed not only had 97 appearances he taught one of the most prolific closers in SEC history how to do his job and take his job and then I think about Adam Frazier just seeing these guys come in not drafted partial scholarship 25 percent scholarship still playing in the big leagues leading NCAA and hits you know, after three years, and he's right in the shadows of Georgia. His offers are few. And, and I think, Lane, that was Doug Sisson, you know, was a guy that said, I think yeah. he's going to be okay. I think he's going to be a ball player. And I'm like, I watched him six times, and I'm like, well, he don't throw enough, and, you know, and he don't he don't hit enough, and, you know, it's flaring and falling in, and then, you know, what do I know? But we, we gave him that min- minimum scholarship. It was his best offer. And you talk about leading NCAA in hits and, and still, I guess, today if we were playing, he'd be leading off for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, Lane, what about Adam Frazier? He was a guy that just seemed to be, I think John Cohen used the phrase one time, hittish. He just kind of got hits. I mean, what did you see in Frazier as that young player? Well, it, it all started with Butch and his relationship with Doug Sisson and uh, you know, Doug was working with him. Adam had some Mississippi State connections. His family actually lived in South Mississippi for a time, and he used to come to the camps uh, when Coach Polk was a coach. And so he he had that Mississippi State uh, connection, and he wanted to be there. And I can remember we went over. Butch may not remember all this. We were going to play Georgia, and Butch dropped me off and said, hey, you need to go watch Adam. I'm going to go watch this kid. I'll be back. And they were playing a terrible opponent. I don't remember. And, and Adam could not have really – played with less energy and had a really bad game. I think he walked twice. Maybe He may even punch out, uh, which is amazing when you think about it in a high school game. I don't even know if he had a ball hit to him. It was a very uneventful, uh, quite frankly, very boring high school baseball game. And Butch comes and picks me up, and I'm like, man, I can't I can't give you anything. I can't, I can't evaluate on what I just saw. And he's kind of giving me the look like, you got to be kidding me. You know, fast forward, we slow played it a little bit. And uh, same thing as we were talking about with Stratton. We're at the Junior Sun Belt Tournament at McAllister, and uh, Adam Frazier goes crazy. I mean, absolutely plays out of his mind for Team Georgia. And uh, within two days, he had about eight offers. Uh, he was the best player there. And there's big leaguers all over the place, and Adam was the best player. And I can remember us pulling over to ball field, me and Butcher in the car together, and calling, calling John. And Butch is basically like, we got to go. We got to roll with it, man, right now. And, you know, John's really, and yeah, we don't got time to waste. Give it, sign off on it. We're rolling. And, uh, and we did, and we offered it and we, you know, uh, offered him, got him. And, uh, obviously he a really good hitter, but you know, if you, if you, when he walks in there as a freshman and Jonathan Ogden was playing in front of him, I remember Augie got hurt at Tennessee, uh, hurt his foot and 
Frazier came in and played outstanding. I, I remember thinking, wow, we may have something here. Ogden finish out the year. But if you're going to say Team USA guy, fifth round or whatever, big leaguer leading off, is that what you're looking at? I mean, that, I probably could not answer that question and say yes. But uh, he worked his tail off, and he had a level of toughness and, and just that baseball IQ, man, that you can't teach. And, I mean, just what a great get for us. And, you know, again, it's just one of those deals where we had to see him multiple times. But when it clicked, and, and he absolutely went off up there in Oklahoma. And fortunate, I'm telling you, he had about eight offers uh we're probably fortunate that we were able to get him. Hey, you know, you mentioned a guy there that I don't think gets enough credit for helping get Mississippi State back in a position to go to Super Regionals and win SEC tournaments and that type thing, and that's Jonathan Ogden. That's a guy that came in, different route. We talked a lot about high school players, but that guy I thought was a very good middle infielder for us on that 11 team. But Ogden is just his, his level of toughness. I mean, it – he played at Blinn Junior College. Their head coach was uh, – I coached him and John coached him at Northwestern State, uh, Harvey McIntyre, who Butch has a great relationship with now. And uh, he was he was playing with us at Northwestern, so we, we had an in, and he had a few guys. And uh, we ended up getting Trey Johnson, Michael Dixon, two other guys that came with us with Augie on that team. And, and we were kind of searching and scrambling and really just throwing a lot of offers out, seeing what stuck. And – Ogden just played with he played with some fire and he had that level of toughness. He had a great arm. He could go get it. You know, he was an average to below average offensive player, but he got some big hits for us and he was just tough enough and enough competitor in him that uh, he competed his tail off when he stepped in the box and and was able. I agree with you. Just tremendous player for us. Filled that gap between uh, what we had when we got there until Frazier took over and then the rest is history but he kind of he kind of filled that gap for us when we really needed somebody to play an important position and and uh, I thought Augie as a matter of fact I texted with him the other night I still have a great relationship with Jonathan and just a tremendous young man great family and and uh, I, I thought played very very well for us uh, filling that gap to get Frazier ready to play and uh, take off with that team for sure. It, let me uh, let me give Lane some credit there, uh, and I think every one of these pitchers and some of these guys we've been talking about would say the same thing and show some agreement. I want the Mississippi State fans to know that I think a huge piece of turning the corner was the junior college work that Lane did in recruiting. Uh, Ogden's a perfect example. He just mentioned a couple of other ones. I also think of a Pirtle, Brett Pirtle as well, Lane. I just Nick Amorati the way he caught, I, I just think Lane had a knack that we had gotten some young talent in there that wasn't ready. Stratton wasn't ready when he got there. Graveman wasn't ready. Bracewell wasn't ready. They wound up being special arms, and most are still pitching today. But it was those junior college guys that helped us turn it. And I think those were Lane's relationships, and I think Lane had a knack for finding a guy with toughness. And I think some of these middle infielders, you've just been able to see the toughness in Ogden, the toughness in Pirtle, and that is a heck of a characteristic that Lane Burr, sometimes you get who you are, not always who you want. And I think those junior, junior college guys that turned the program was because of the imprint that Lane Burroughs had in our program. Well, no doubt, Butch, those junior college guys were huge. So let's take our final break. This segment's been brought to you by our good friends at Country Police and Sausage. Back with a final segment of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. 
Well, final segment of Out of the Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau, go with a home team. They've got agents all over the state. And the ones in South Mississippi are working extremely hard right now after the Sunday tornadoes. And, of course, our thoughts and prayers are with our good friends down in the Pine Belt area. But Farm Bureau is out there doing their part, trying to get people back up and rolling. Farm Bureau, go with a home team. Okay, Charlie, during the break we talked about a guy, and during the last segment, Butch mentioned his name. You've had a burning question about this guy for a while. Tell us the story of Brett Pirtle. I think you can make the argument that he is, if not the best, one of the best second basemen that Mississippi State's ever had. Tell us the story of how Brett Pirtle got here. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I was over at Panola Junior College where he played. They were hosting a junior college issued generic run-of-the-mill weekend tournament. He he just went off. I mean, it was switch hitter, and uh, it was one of those deals where it was late in the day the first time I saw him play, and and all the coaches there and scouts are starting to get a little fatigued. I can remember looking around and people are not really paying attention. And I'm just writing down double, double, triple, homer. And he's coming up to bat. And I'm like, this guy gets a double or a single or home run every time he's hitting the ball hard. And so I kind of nobody's really watching. And I'm looking around and uh, he's playing shortstop. He's playing second base. I look up and he's catching. I mean, the guy is catching. And uh, I'm like, what's well, the ball player? He's running good. He's he's playing with energy. It's late in the day. Nobody's really watching. And I just went over and talked to Todd Shelton, his, his junior college coach, who I go way back with. And and uh, I'm like, is this guy for real? And he's like, yeah, he's for real. And went back, watched him the next day. He did the same thing. And uh, we brought him in. And here's a, the crazy thing about Pirtle. I had gotten a job at Northwestern. He had had probably about as bad as a sophomore season as you could have offensively. I mean, I can remember checking his numbers. Uh, John was big about that. He wanted he wanted us every Monday to give him a report, an update on how our signees were doing. And, I mean, I was – I did not want to let him know how Brett Pirtle was playing. I mean, he played awful. And he'll, he will tell you that. I'm not saying anything. Brett will tell you that. He could, he could not have had a word. I mean, I think as a sophomore in junior college, he may have hit 204. Butch can probably – uh, long story short, I get the job at Northwestern. And honestly, uh, there was some talk that, you know, do we really want to bring him in? Do we want to go another direction? Do we need to tell him maybe, Brett, you know, it's going to be hard for you to play here. And I had left, so I kind of left in the middle of all that. And uh, But they, they they stuck with it. And, you know, I look up and I'm watching him on TV. And, uh, I mean, played out of his mind for two years. And, and just a young man that played so hard, a coach's son, and, and uh, knew the game and for whatever reason, it just didn't go f- well for him his sophomore year, but he did not have a good one, and it was just good to see him. You know, I've even heard John use the the term maybe the best second baseman to ever play there, and I, that's huge praise coming from uh, Coach Cohen, and and uh, I would probably have to agree with him. If you, it's a it's a small sample size, but the two years he played there, I don't know if you could have asked much more out of the young man. Butch in 2013. So many people are trying to find, you know, what was the turning point of that season because we had some downs in that 2013 season. I think of a couple. One is we're playing Alabama. Uh, They've got a left-handed hitter at the plate. Second and third, we bring in Gerardo. He can't get the guy out. He walks the guy. And you walk to the top step of the dugout, and you're having a conversation with with John. And all of a sudden, you walk back into the dugout. Is a right-handed a batter coming to the plate and we pitched to him and he struck the guy out. And it was really the first time that we saw Chad Gerardo face a right-handed hitter. 
and be have success. And it was almost like that was the, the, the blanket that we needed, that comfort blanket of knowing he could pitch to right-handers. And another thing that I think of is in 2013, a Sunday game in Oxford. We had played a doubleheader against Ole Miss on Saturday, lost those two games. And in the bullpen before the game and not giving too much information, all I remember is, and, and Charlie, these are two guys on the phone right now that if, if I have to have someone give a speech before a game, these are the two guys that want to do it. But, Butch, I remember the conversation you had with the pitchers, and when the conversation was over, three of the guys were crying, and I couldn't figure out if I needed to cry or not. And so, But I, but I look back at, at those moments, and, and how do you know as a head coach now? I mean, both of you guys have had a lot of success as head coaches. In today's world, in today's kids, it's almost like you have to pick your times to make those monumental statements and it seemed like you guys always picked those times at the right time. Whew. That's, uh, I, I do believe in what you're saying. I think there's times and there's moments, and I think a coach only has so many bullets in the season. I, I think if you're firing off a bullet every week, I think you'll lose a, a group of young people. I think there's moments. The moment for Gerardo, the first example you brought up is, you know, for us to really have him be a sincere piece of this somewhere down the road in here, He's going to have to do more than just face two lefties and then be out of the game. We're going to need him to be able to figure out a right-hander. And from a pitching standpoint, you know, what we did was we'd already dropped him down. So it really wasn't developing another pitch. It was just with a right-hander, you know, they just, the righty saw it so much longer that after every slider, we started following it up with a changeup because as soon as we throw the slider and miss or land it, we would come back with a fastball, and the hitter would be on time, the right-handed hitter. And we started there about a week, 10 days before of, after we throw the slider to the right-hander, we're going to immediately follow it up with a change-up. And that unlocked everything, and that was needed, you know, in that postseason. I think he went like five or six innings in that final game against Central Arkansas that gave us such a tough run in our own regional there at home. And then you know, being able to throw those multiple innings and turn that lineup over. That was a moment and a door that Gerardo needed to walk through for us to be able to make it to Omaha that year. And then at Ole Miss, you know, you're just, that's your rival. That's uh, that's a moment in time. You just got kicked, but you got another opportunity the next day. And I think it's just, it's not good enough. I, I care about you more than anything else and just trying to be genuine with them. And you cannot do that just over and over and over. It has to be real. It has to be in the moment. You have to, we sensed that that was a huge time. And I'm like, I thought that out, you know, all night sitting in that hotel, coming back out and you got one more opportunity. That was a time to lay it down. Lane's the one that can motivate like crazy because he's got all this military information. I always try to ask him what book is he reading because he's pulling out a general. I just think through our four years together, <laughs> he would just get up and, you know, I don't know. He thought he was a four-star general or something. He had the best <laughs> stories ever. We're going to lock so, shields. <laughs> he would always go to some <laughs> military deal. We're all ready to go fight or do something. I just, I miss that. Lane, I miss you for that, man. I, I really do. I, I, miss, I miss Nick. You know, Nick was really good. You know, Lane was doing a ton of the recruiting. I was helping every bit I could. I was trying to get us some pitchers. Um, and, and assist. Nick was always holding down the fort, and 
he would do anything in his power to try to help assist. What do you need? What can we do to help do with the deal? And then, you know, John Cohen, one of his greatest strengths that I don't know everybody knows, I have more of a realization now as a head coach is he lets you do your job. He hired you, and he allowed you to do your job. Man, you respect somebody like that that stands over you. And I just think conversely, I've wound up doing that as a head coach myself as I've, I've let my assistants do their job. A lot of people would think John Cohen is a micromanager. What you're telling us is that's not the case. Absolutely not. It even bled down from from me, from Lane, even to our pitching staff. About 2011, I had a huge shift in just – I'm not a big fan of the word philosophy, but just how we would structure a game and allowing pitchers to call their own game and run their own show. That takes a confident head coach to allow his pitching coach to do that. But that's a great example of – uh, of John allowing everybody to, to run their own show, fill in their whole space. And, you know, he was kind of like Jerry Weinstein says, it's kind of like we're the guardrails and we want you to go wide open, but John allowed people to grow. All these examples of these recruiting, recruiting these guys are amazing. But to see where these guys got three or four years and even eventually five or six years down the road, how successful they've been, that's been because the leader allowed them to grow. And I give John a ton of credit for, for that. Absolutely. All right, guys, before we turn you loose, some of the great moments that I had when, when y'all were here and getting here in, in 2000 for that 2009 season, you know, through 2012 with Lane and then through 2015 with Butch, a lot of my memories came off the field. But when you look at your time frame in Starkville, Lane, what's the thing that stands out to you? What are the things? I know you start talking about being on the road for 60 straight days to get it all started. Was there a was there a moment that you had in Starville where you said, you know what, this was well worth the work that you put in, and this has been a lot of fun? Not wanting to sound too generic or too coach speak, I think it's still going on. And I, I piggyback off what Butch said, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. And I think uh, the, the stuff we learned uh, from John and – from Butch and from Nick, and I, I thought it was three. I mean, four uh, tremendous, tremendous baseball men. I thought uh, recruiters and and coaches to be a part of that staff. And and uh, look, I mean, it. Uh, my my meetings today, to to this day, every meeting I have, I pull stuff from Butch Thompson or John Cohen or Nick Mingione and uh, just stuff you learned. And we struggled for two years, man. We went nine and twenty one and six and twenty four. I mean, we were. Uh, you know, you felt like going to work, you're going to get run out of town, guns a-blazing. You know, we're working our tails off and doing everything we can to build it. And I think just putting all that hard work in, and I can remember being at Northwestern State, look, and uh, my first year we went 16 and 40, and uh, we got our teeth kicked in, and I'm, I'm I'm questioning myself, can I do this? And and I'm looking on TV, and the team I just left playing for national championship. And, and uh, you know, to be a human being, that's tough, but – I can remember being so proud of, of Butch and Nick and John and, and all the work we put in and proud of those young men like a Kendall Graveman who, you know, just such character and makeup and you seeing guys like that. I know that's not one moment and that's not what you ask me, but I think it's just a accumulation of all the moments and, and players, you know, Kendall Graven, I can remember recruiting him and Butch calling me over there and saying, you think, is he good enough? You know, I remember going, man, I don't know, but we didn't know what kind of character he had, what kind of makeup. And once you found out, you're like, yeah, he's plenty good enough. And seeing those young men, all those big leaguers, and having a chance to win a national championship. And I was hanging on every pitch. My family was hanging on every pitch. And, you know, we just got our teeth kicked in an entire season, not one rain out. We go 16 and 40. And 
But I got something to hang on to, man. I got a team that's playing. They're about to do it. They're about to win a national championship, and I'm getting chill bumps talking about it. And I, I wasn't even there. I had nothing to do with it uh, on the field. And I just think um, the good Lord blesses you, and he puts you in time and places. And and uh, we just happened to be come together and, and work for a tremendous staff. And there were days we didn't all love each other, I promise you. But uh, you learn stuff, and, and you look at things differently, especially when you become a head coach. Go, okay. I kind of get it now. I kind of get it a little bit now more than I did. And, and you look at it differently. And I think just the things we learned struggling, uh, try to get a program back going that, that had so much pride and tradition and history and, and uh, continue to carry it with me today, every day. Every day I go to work, man, I draw on something I learned in those four years there with those men. It, it's looking back in the big picture, just like Lane. I just, you know, I am the head coach at Auburn, but I may not be or I may not be as prepared or I may not have gotten this opportunity if it wasn't for time, my time at Mississippi State. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think we all have an understanding that it's really about relationships and we're really there for those players, number one. I, I did learn a lot during that time and I cherish those relationships. I, I don't regret a day. Lane's right. There was a lot of hard days in there. There was uh, those first thousand days, man, it was a, it was a grind, but that kind of makes it sweeter when you get to a point and, and you do have success with a program. That is a proud program. Uh, I'm thankful to have been a part of it. Uh, there's so many people out there that has played there, coached there, that is connected and love that place. Uh, there's not many baseball situations like that. And I think for every player that Ain and I recruited to, um, to every person that's cheered for that program, I think everybody is thankful to be part of it. And so, you know, I cherish all those big moments and I cherish all those games to where when you won it by one run or you advanced uh, to go on to the next step in the postseason, every one of those are special. But it's just one big look back and you look at, you know, all the positives, you look at the relationships, you look at those special games because between all of that, there's a lot of challenges. And that's what makes uh, those victories a little sweeter and makes those relationships cherished a little bit more. So uh, it's a great seven and a half years for me and my family. You know, that was a long time for, for our family, the longest we've been anywhere in my coaching career. And um, I'm thankful I got to, to be home and coach. I'm sure Lane feels the same way. And, and, it's, and it's helped us every day. And, and whatever we're doing now is because of our time at State. Guys, we appreciate it. We could go on forever, but, uh, man, I really appreciate it. And Charlie and I talked about uh, putting together this show, and I was like, I tell you what, this would be perfect to have, uh, have four guys pretty much sitting around a table just, just chatting and talking about Bulldog baseball. And I appreciate you. Thank you for your friendship. Yes. Thank you, guys. It's been an honor to talk with you. Good to hear Butch's voice. It's the only way I can get him to call me when we're all here together. So <laughs> talk to me. So he's big time now. No, it's, uh, appreciate you guys having. It's been an honor to be on your show. Same way. Thanks for wanting to include us, man. I think that's special. Wow, that went by fast. Great to talk with our friends, Butch Thompson and Lane Burroughs. And we appreciate you joining us once again for another show of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau.